Inflation fears were fierce in the spring. After another large increase in consumer prices in July, we asked the question, will inflation fears pose a risk to financial markets? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. We think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of August 16th, 2021. And it has been pretty quiet around here, but the economic data never stops and just keeps things interesting for us. <laughs> Both of those are true, right? Um, today, we're going to dig into the details of a specific piece of recent data, which is last week's inflation report or consumer prices report. Inflation was a big focus among investors back in the spring, as Robert said. And so we have to ask ourselves now, several months later, if we're still seeing these price increases, are they really transitory or are they becoming more persistent? Yes, I think it's important to catch listeners up on the report first, and then maybe we can get to that question on persistent versus transitory inflation. I like that. Ease ourselves into it. Okay. Well, the Consumer Price Index report for July, which was released last week, showed a moderation in core consumer prices. That's consumer prices, less food and energy. So the prices of goods and services are still rising, but the change in prices is no longer accelerating the way it's been for the past several months. Right. And driving that deceleration among these core goods, as you said, was mainly led by used car prices. Over the past three months, demands for automobiles and some of the supply demand imbalances that we've talked about before on the program pushed car prices significantly higher. And that was contributing to the overall basket of goods that consumers can buy. But in July, that trend seemed to stabilize. Those used car prices stopped significantly increasing. Right. And that's an important piece of information because the supply demand issues that Robert's pointing out in used cars, we'd expect that not to last forever, right? For some of the supply demand pressures that we've seen uh, for those items begin to wane over time. And so it's good to see used car prices, as well as some other prices like commodities, begin to fall into a more normal range of inflation. And so hopefully the months of core consumer price index inflation rising by 70, 90 basis points each month, which is what happened in Q2, hopefully those days are behind us, which should alleviate investors' concerns about runaway inflation and what that would mean for asset prices. Okay, so alleviating the concern of runaway inflation, that's really interesting. What do you mean by runaway inflation and how does that concern get alleviated? Well, the details of the July inflation data seem to suggest, again, that these supply-demand imbalances are likely temporary. Now, base effects, the comparison of prices now relative to a year ago, which was in the heat of the pandemic, and wholesale price increases for some major goods and commodities, those have started to wane. They've started to look a little bit more normal. Right. So as they look more normal, there's less of that pressure 
for prices to kind of spiral out of control and to continue going up. But what can we say about inflation then? Is it just on vacation? Was it on vacation or is it gone for good? I think it's still too early to say that inflation is gone for good. These are still uh, bigger price increases than we've seen in much of the last 10, 15 years. And substantial uncertainties are in place as a result of this unprecedented crisis. We've been saying for 18 months that the virus governs the economy, and that's still very much the case as much as we wish it weren't. So we don't expect persistently higher inflation in categories like used cars or commodities like we've been talking about. But it could become more likely if we're still seeing this persistent strength in price growth, that it starts to broaden out to more services categories, especially as more people are getting vaccinated, going out to eat, that type of thing. And and there is some evidence that price increases stemming from the reopening of the economy could be sticky, just a little early to say for sure. So you mentioned a few of those service categories and a few more categories that are related to inflation. I want to go back to the July CPI report, namely the prices for new vehicles, hotels, and food away from home, like restaurants. These have yet to moderate. We haven't seen that upward price pressure come back to not raise prices overall like we saw with used cars. And namely, it's that continued strong rise. It was about 80 basis points, 0.8% month over month in the food away from home. That's restaurant dining. Now, that doesn't exactly show up in the core CPI, uh, but it will be part of the PCE, which the Fed watches. Secondly, we had hotel prices, and that advanced a full 6% month over month. Hotels are charging a lot more now that people are traveling more and, and going out more. And that's consistent with the idea that there's just a limited capacity and there's a rapid return to travel. And that may be leading to really accelerating price pressures beyond what we would just consider normal pre-pandemic levels. I mentioned earlier uncertainty. One of the areas where we know it's it's really difficult to decrease prices once you've increased them is shelter. And that represents more than 40% of the core consumer price index. And if I look ahead, shelter prices pose a serious risk of potentially stronger increases as rents go up, as people get back into cities because officers are reopening, that type of thing. Mm. So where does that land us then on this debate that it feels like we've been having this all year about persistent versus transitory inflation? We expect inflation to remain above 3% in year-on-year terms through 2021. So we have several more months of these strong price pressures, but we do expect it'll settle to closer to 2 to 3% in 2022. And so that's still an uncomfortable stance for investors in the next few months and for the Fed in the next few months. So our eyes are certainly on this question. Yes. And that can be a particularly uncomfortable stance when growth concerns rise which is what's going on right now with surging COVID cases around the world. Now is a great time, I think, for a portfolio pause, which is a section of the program where we share an investment idea. And I think we have to start with the Fed here. You just said it, Lauren. It's an uncomfortable position for monetary policymakers as well as fiscal policymakers. I want to focus on the Fed. What does that mean for rates and monetary policy if inflation is in fact sticky? for the next year and then settles at you know a little bit of an above trend level in 2022. Well, for the next several months, it's unlikely to make a big difference or to, to push Federal Reserve to move more quickly towards tightening policy. 
Instead, we expect the Fed will continue to be very careful in its communication and may announce tapering later this year to begin next year. Now, I think the, the more meaningful changes in monetary policy could come next year or the year after. If we do have sticky price pressures next year, as you're saying, then it could change the pace at which the Fed raises interest rates. That's not a question for today, but as investors, we're always looking to tomorrow and it's something that we're analyzing closely. Okay. So if the Fed does start tapering, that means that there might be a little bit more upward pressure on rates from here, especially given how low they are, looking at the 10-year U.S. bond yield. Now, looking through a broader lens, thinking about how this inflation and rate dynamic affects the economy and markets more broadly, the ongoing profit recovery provides really solid support for this bull market. And we therefore maintain a modest overweight to risk assets. The environment of modest inflation, solid corporate profit growth, and low rates can really pave the way for companies to invest in their business or return cash to shareholders, both of which are bullish environments. It's a really, really important point. And I think when we talk about risks, including inflation and, of course, many other bumps in the night that are out there, this element of true recovery and profit growth is so, so, so important. And so as we think about sticky prices, and if we do see inflation continue beyond what we expect, I, I want to reiterate where investors can create value alongside their value chain. Within asset classes, winners and losers are likely to be those that have efficient supply chains, stronger governance, and can pass higher costs on to customers which would therefore allow them to navigate bumps in the recovery and, and generate more reliable revenue growth. That you know, there's likely to be market volatility in the coming year as these issues uh, sort themselves out. And so really looking at the individual company business models that can sustain that volatility is, is the most important thing we can think about. Coming up next, all eyes are moving from economic data and back towards Washington. There's been a lot of activity lately. A $1 trillion infrastructure package passed along party lines with $550 billion in new spending, followed very closely by an outline for a $3.5 trillion vote. But now 46 Republicans signed a letter saying that they won't engage in that effort to raise or suspend the debt limit alongside these negotiations. So a lot going on in Washington, and it's likely to remain tricky over the next six weeks. Our base case remains for the debt limit and government shutdown to be extended till the end of the year to provide more time for negotiations. But the risks of market reaction increase as we get closer to that end of September fiscal year. That's a really great point. And that has, in the past, prior economic cycles caused some significant concern among investors. So it's important to watch. And I think we have been highlighting that policymakers in Washington present a tremendous upside or downside risk either way, this fiscal policy element. And there are three fiscal risks that are looking increasingly likely to come together that you just mentioned, Lauren. So I want to reiterate them. First is a debt ceiling that needs to be resolved by early November. The second is a potential government shutdown at the end of September. And the third is this passage of the hard infrastructure bill, that $1 trillion bill you mentioned, along with a party line reconciliation package that you also mentioned, that $3.5 trillion social infrastructure bill. So it's a lot. A lot to watch for. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Yes, let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. You can send us your views or highlight what matters to you all by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, which is newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. 
And that's where you can also find our mid-year outlook that we have referred to many times prior on the program. But until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.